0: This episode of Stories from the Atlantic is about you. It's about how you feel right now, or have been feeling, and the reasons behind it, perhaps. It's about honesty to yourself, and a dialogue that results perhaps in answers or questions, but at least they will be your questions and answers. And as I was the one that brought up the need for honesty, let me start the process myself. The reason for the topic and approach to this episode started with a moment of procrastination and some worries. Only a moment before beginning to speak to you, I was sitting by the window, having just put down a green textbook about first aid. Not just first aid, but wilderness first aid, with the heavy title Wilderness First Responder, or in Icelandic, Fyrsta Hjálp As the light faded over Reykjavík, the hours until the course began became fewer obviously, but part of me was somewhat insecure. The course is actually a reminder course, refreshing what I'd learned three years before, and includes basic guidelines to follow when confronted with a medical situation, especially when far away from any help. So I was sitting there, having answered most of the questions needed to gain the right to attend the course, worrying about the ones I was uncertain about, and imagining being failed before the course even started, perhaps single doubt, as an example of an idiot. But with those classical doubts, I sat there looking out the window, and I began to talk to you. But the reason suddenly changed, or became plural. I thought of all the ways we can feel, experience things, and perceive our reality. Same situation, different reactions, unless you're following guidelines. But most of us have different guidelines, different upbringing, parents, experiences, and different balance and reactions to the positive and negative experiences. Our situations were different, the people involved behaved differently, and we reacted differently in some way. And without hesitating, because I easily could, and perhaps should, doubt my ability or my right to ask you how you feel, how do you feel? How was your day? I wonder when someone asked you the last time how you were feeling. Here in Iceland, as in many countries, the conversation starter is how's it going? Or actually, what do you say good? It sounds like this. got? Or simply, er?" Or even simpler, kvaseist? The shortest version of that question is simply res, which means cheery? Question mark. The correct answer to all of the above is Allt fint or bara fint, bara and so on but basically it means I'm fine The correct counter question is and thu, or how about you to which you reply probably with the same answer or a variation thereof It's actually incredible how fine everyone is doing My father always confirms my answer to the question with a counter question which is simply to ask isn't it so which makes sense in Icelandic and is a sign of a very positive outlook on life. So let me ask you again, how's it going? When I'm in America, I experience a radical version of this question, when I get the question from everyone, everywhere, even when there isn't time to answer it, as when walking somewhere and a stranger passes you, smiling, asking briskly, how's it going? And when I reply, the person has passed me, and I'm speaking into thin air. Now, that could bring up conversations with ourselves, using the exterior of our surroundings as a listener, talking out loud, asking questions, searching for answers with no one to reply but ourselves. Okay, I know you might easily point out that there is such a dialogue and has been since the dawn of mankind, ever since the idea of a higher being and creator came forth, modern-day religions being only the most recent variations. Do you have that kind of conversation? Have you ever tried it? Are we having a dual internal monologue, a conversation of sorts, but no way to communicate? I know you can hear me, and I know that you are answering some of my questions, if only subconsciously. I'm not sure what the emotional difference is between being able to talk, but not to hear, or to hear and talk, but no one to hear it. I guess that could be said for many relationships, marriages, family situations or to be more precise, what do we hear from a person, and what could we hear from them? That question comes up when you see or hear someone that you're close to, family member, lover, wife, husband, engaging and exchanging with someone else on a level far beyond what you've ever experienced. Does beg the question, doesn't it? Is it me, or is it them? Or is it us, simply not matching up? Or... Am I simply just not seeing or hearing what the person actually has inside to offer? Now, most relationships, I guess, somehow evolve, but they also become very fixed in many ways of communicating about what and what not. How is your relationship with the people closest to you? Who do you relate to the most, or are able to open up to? Did it change at some point? I mean, have you experienced a dramatic change in any of your relationships? Some things can change. Can everything change? Of course, I I know that. But people can die, and they will die. Perhaps the one or those that you had the special relationship with suddenly were gone, except for the memory. Have you lost such a person? If so, how did it feel? Long talks by the kitchen table, cups of coffee, birds singing or snowstorm raging, simple farm food, now cooked in a one-bedroom city apartment with the radio playing, the bookshelves full of history and poetry, shared in spoken conversation, until you got cancer, and then the talks partly moved to the side of your bed, where you lay, with a big smile beneath your glasses, no hair, but you were there. Then you weren't, and I cried, and I missed you, and I longed for your company, like so many others, but they're not me, and I'm not them, so I cried for my loss. Then there were just the two of us by the kitchen table, often speaking of you, but able to talk of various things, and he would reply with his unique, drawn-out yes, in a mix of surprise and curiosity, before diving into the subject, which led us to talk of so many things, where few subjects seemed out of order, just like it was when it was the three of us in a small apartment in the town I was born, surrounded by other houses and lava fields in the backyard and good berry bushes and the same furniture, but no longer the smell of the filterless camel cigarettes, that he quit smoking. And then he was in a retirement home and my visits became fewer until the last one in late winter and the new year started with his departure and they were both gone. And I cried and I longed not only for them, but for us, Time has passed, and I still get emotional inside, missing them, like so many others do. Did that make you think of anyone in your life that's gone? The cemeteries are full of friends, family, lovers, enemies. It's not dark yet, and I mean that in a literal way. Twenty past ten, on May 9th, and I'm feeling okay, or fine, thanks for asking. How about you? Do you feel you have opportunities to tell people how you feel, especially when you don't feel so good? I wonder where you're from and if it's much different there than here, in general, when it comes to how people talk about their feelings. Big boys don't cry. Is that a defining mentality where you come from? Have you ever seen a big boy cry? What the hell does a big boy actually mean? I do feel that things have changed in Iceland when it comes to opening up about how people feel. There's been all sorts of awakenings when it comes to mental health, about talking about feelings, all kinds of stuff. Every subject is being destigmatized. Go to rehab. Great. Whether you're a sailor, a politician, business person, mother, father. Great. Most of the time. But then, what we sense as a general enlightenment of the nation might be only a front page interview, a slogan, a lecture, a focus among the core values of the government's new health care charter, how things should be that week. And then there's your family and how open they are to you opening up. What's your relationship with your family? Do you feel that you are yourself when you're with your family? Don't worry. This is just between me and you. I can actually almost guarantee that at this exact moment, the likelihood of someone listening to the show at the same second that you're hearing right now, thereby listening in, is close to zero. It's just the two of us and all these questions. What do you ask yourself most often? Perhaps not the endless small questions behind shopping lists or daily to-do lists, although I am curious how you feel about such things. Are you obsessed, in need of, or perhaps addicted to making lists in your life? Do lists make you feel there is a structure, purpose, control of your life? I'm not one to ask about lists, as I tend to put the tiniest action on lists, crossing them off in order to maintain a sense of productivity, something that I think often deceives me or takes the focus from major tasks. So ten tiny actions don't add up to achieving my major goals which still don't take up more space on a list. Do you make lists both for your daily chores and your major goals in life? Do you perhaps share a bit of Mao's goal setting with your own five-year plan of how to advance in life? That reminds me of a woman I once met here in Iceland and who shared with me insight to her life when it came to goals. She'd grown up with a lot of boys, she being the only girl, but older. Her role became that of a supporter and guidance for them, And she did the same with me for a brief moment in time. The key was to decide what you wanted to do, set it in writing, and take all the steps needed to reach that goal. I guess you could call it a sort of stepping stone mentality, where you're always moving to the next step in life. She had achieved her goals and aspirations through a life that did not offer her everything, but what she could control, she did. So that begs the question, What's the next stepping stone for you? Is it work-related, moving up the ladder, as they call it? Perhaps you're picking up the stones behind you, aiming to throw them up in order to break the glass ceiling that you find you live under. I guess that brings us to limitations. I have no idea whether you're standing on top of the glass ceiling or banging at it from below, or if you're actually even in the building. Oh, and what do you ask yourself most often? All these questions make me hear the voice of a teacher speaking over a class, which I think would have been amazing as a kid. Imagine it, to have a grown-up asking you questions that you didn't have to answer out loud, but internally. No judgment, no ridicule from friends or foes, but just a chance to connect with yourself. But then again, perhaps the risk of confusing young minds, bringing them to the grown-up world of overthinking life, is too great a gamble. Imagine the voice of a teacher saying, Now kids, you'll have 30 seconds to answer the next question, inside your mind. Teacher continues to ask, what do you do in life? One person blurts out a joke and the group laughs, but the teacher just smiles and says, some of you make jokes in life, that would be one of the things that you do in life, so now silently in your mind continue thinking of all sorts of things you do in life. It's almost sci-fi, isn't it? To think of this kind of education where you only answer to yourself. But now, a grown-up question. What do you want to do in life? When's the last time someone asked you what you want to do? Or the last time you asked someone what they want to do? Is there someone in your life to ask on a daily basis? Last time you were in love? In love now? Loved? What's your outlook on the idea of finding love, soulmate, the right one? Or perhaps the brutal reality of a statistical logical nightmare sprinkled with disappointments, one or many? Has anyone in your life ever offered you meaningful advice when it comes to love or relationships? Did your parents ever sit you down to talk about sex and boys and girls and birds and the bees, as they call it? I guess it's all in sex education, although I can't remember ever being taught anything about love or respect or other aspects of relationships. Long before I had sex, I'd learned about the reproductive system of men and women and birth control and vaguely something about STDs, but I think I was actually in love long before that. As a kid, vague but strong memories, a bond and connection, I can't remember her name, it was kindergarten years. And I was also busy with other stuff, like climbing onto garage roofs and feeding ducks. Are these questions and thoughts of any value to you? What's the last thing you felt changed your life for the better, in a meaningful way? It could also be material, that's fine. I'm not utterly devoid of materialistic appreciation, as I recently bought four clamps at the hardware store to hang up photographic backdrops in my living room, which by now are almost completely covered with curtains strung across the space, far from the window. I hung a large piece of bubble wrap with my new clamps and took a photo of my brother in front and behind it. That perhaps didn't change my life, but rather it added yet another unique treasure that I cherish, all thanks to the $7.99 clumps. Before that, I climbed into a dumpster and pulled out a vintage French sitting bench with drawers. It's the new best thing in my life, materialistically, but it actually adds calm, respite, and appreciation as I lie on it, reading, staring at the clouds go by. Do you ever watch clouds go by for any period of time? You might live in a place that has no clouds most of the time, bragging of your 300-plus days of sunshine, or you might live in Bergen in Norway, one of the rainiest and therefore loveliest cities in the world. I was actually born in pouring rain, and it gives me a deep mental calm when it's raining. What about you? What's your favorite weather? What's the weather where you are right now? If you push pause for a moment, what sounds do you hear around you? And now, you're not there anymore. But you're on Delancey Street, on Manhattan, New York City, in the United States of America. The cobblestone streets and the crowds of people constantly moving between fashion stores, aside from the hopeful young girls dreaming of modeling careers who hang out at the intersection, black fire escapes on every building, and then suddenly someone speaking in French, the language of high fashion. <inaudible> and so, we go to France. We're in the metro, with the rest of the common folks who populate this city. This city you thought I was going to call the city of love, whatever. This city you thought I was going to call the city of love, right? Well, love, hate, poverty, art, philosophy, cigarettes, Immigrants Gertrude Stein and the '68 Student Revolution and Banlius and Sarkozy and Carlo Bruni and jean and Paul Sartre and whoever you want to pull out from history, not forgetting the 2.2 million people whose names we will never hear, but who at this moment, a few of them share a metro car, heading the same way, living briefly a parallel existence to ours. So we just stand there, feeling the jerky forward motion of the green metro train... ...passing through one of the many arrondissements or neighborhoods of the city. Have you ever lived in another city or another country? Does your home feel like you want it or wanted it to feel? Do you feel at home? Close your eyes, unless driving or walking. But close your eyes. I'm going to remove you from your present location and drop you into the hills of the Albaysin, an ancient Moorish quarter in the city of Granada, in southern Spain. For a brief moment, without any explanation for you being there, you stroll the small narrow streets and walkways between whitewashed houses and giant cactuses, where siestas actually mean something. Slow, quiet, in the warm autumn afternoon, blue sky the Alhambra Castle on top of the adjacent hill. On one of the rooftops, on top of the Al on the mildest afternoon you've ever experienced, you find yourself sitting with two guitarists, one from South America, another from Taiwan, as the former plays into the afternoon orange glow. fly across the sky and your attention slowly is drawn from the low rooftops to the hypnotic castle of Alhambra overlooking Granada. Take one last deep breath and look over this ancient city, the former Muslim stronghold, center of learning and arts, before you return, slowly, back to where you came from. And where did you come from? Before this now of your life, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Did you dream of being a pilot, doctor, nurse, revolutionary, bank robber, politician, stay at home parent, artist, or like me, a ninja with a Kawasaki motorcycle, preferably living in Tokyo? Who was your best friend? The number one rule I learned in the last days was to ensure your own safety at the scene before you help anyone else. If you're still here, I want you to know that there is no big revelation at the end of the show, no advice or wisdom from me to you, no mental CPR or how to stop emotional bleeding. This is it. Just 20 minutes of me asking you various random questions, occasionally allowing my thoughts to roam a little bit, hoping you're still here and that you've had a chance to think about yourself. There are, of course, social surveys carried out all around the world, focusing on health, income, happiness and perception of society. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Now, I want to ask you, what's the last thing that made you feel sorrow? Now, can you tell me, on the scale of 1 to 10, 1 being none, 10 being complete, do you feel that you have control over your life? To the statement, I am able to change my life for the better, would you say you agree or disagree? The idea of you as master of your own destiny, do you relate to it completely, somewhat, have no opinion, not that much, or not at all? Let's try a different tone. Would it be easy for you to move? Just pack up and find a new job, make new friends, find a new rhythm? Would it only be you relocating or do you have a family? Listen to the tone at the sound of the beep. Beep. You still here? You're still with her? Him? Do you ever get questions like those? From whom? Were they ever valuable or helpful perhaps? At this course I'm taking, we go over all the systems to organize your approach to a situation and specific problems, whether it's based on someone bleeding to death or possibly going into shock or possibly just being a little upset. You have ways of going through steps, checklists, triangles, exclusion methods, all in the hopes of narrowing down to a problem, defining it as serious or not, reacting and coming up with a plan. Perhaps that's the way to go through life with a set of guidelines, exchanging words like anaphylactic shock with unhappiness, and thereby figuring out what triggers it and how to get rid of it. Freud as a wilderness first responder, saving mental health in the great outdoors. I was fascinated by the step-by-step process taught at this course, where each side of a triangle referred to either a reminder of what to keep in mind or what to actually do, leading you to a final problem list, leading you to a final problem list, possible problems that could result from it, and what you then planned on doing to solve the problem, or at least take the steps needed to keep the person alive. Have you ever felt you had someone's life in your hands? It could be their safety, or their actual life, faced with risks to it, or it could be their well-being or happiness. Have you ever felt responsible for someone's happiness directly? If so, think of a positive example, where you cherish that role and the emotions you got from it. And then think of the opposite, where the feeling became a burden you had to carry every day, as if your actions or lack of certain actions would tip a person into a catatonic downward spiral. Confronted with overwhelming situations where someone tells you that your actions are causing pain, wouldn't it be good to have a checklist or framework help you navigate through that situation? There are situations where the scene of the accident is nothing but screams and blood and fires that must be put out and wounds taken care of, and you panic, running from one problem to the next, reacting, but not solving or stabilizing the scene. Adrenaline, fear, doubt, stress, guilt can create a situation where you lose control. Does this show and the line of questioning feel heavy to you? Have you ever been interrogated? It could be by police, and if so, I'm not going to ask you for what. Or it could be the interrogation of a spouse or lover. Think of one of the hardest questions you've ever been asked in your life. Now think of the answer. How did that feel? How do you feel right now after all these questions? Like I said earlier in the show, There will be no magical pill or potion, solution or absolution, for anything as we near the end of this episode, which clearly swerved away from the usual theme of sharing stories from other people. Instead, we made this episode revolve around you, with questions and answers only you can know. In upcoming episodes, we will continue to ask other people questions, hearing their stories or thoughts on things, but today, it was about you. I wish you all the best, and hope you'll join me again for the next episode of Stories from the atlantic where the focus will be on a haircut, birds, now arriving in the millions to Iceland, as we speak. So with that, goodbye.